All right. You know, I was telling our students a few weeks ago, just going through uh, the book of Mark, and Jesus kind of redefines family in there. And uh, to sum it up, we're, we're, this is kind of like a family reunion tour or family gathering tour. We're just meeting family that we haven't met before. And it's so great, all over the country. And, um, and it's extra, extra special here because you are our church family, or my family's family. And actually also probably in a very real sense, I'm related to a bunch of you. So <laughs> this, is, this is family gathering times three. All right. Uh, I am excited to share with you this morning. And I want to share with you about identity and purpose. There it is. Who do you say that I am? Notice on the left there, it's the shape of a person. Sometimes we kind of wonder, who am I? This, of course, is based out of um, Jesus' question to his disciples. Um, and we're going to look at, we're going to launch there from Matthew chapter 16. And uh, actually, I'll read it here right away and, and we'll go from there. Matthew 16, verses 13 to 17. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his, his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but my, by my Father in heaven. Father, we thank you for your word, and I thank you for your revelation. Just as you revealed that to Peter, Lord, I ask that by your spirit you would reveal your truth about who you are and about who we are as we explore your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, identity. This is a big deal in our society, right? Lots of nods there, yes. It goes hand in hand with these ideas of self-awareness, finding yourself, being real, being authentic, your self-expression, finding purpose and fulfillment, even this whole idea of your truth. These kind of all overlap. Self-identification is a huge issue today, particularly when it comes to gender identity. And so I want to dig in a little bit uh, of what the scriptures tell us about identity and how that then leads to purpose. Identity, a contemporary definition of identity is how you define yourself. There are a host of problems with a definition like that, how you define yourself, which I won't get into. But really, identity at its core is simply who you are, who you actually are. That is your identity. So for those of you who have uh, flown before, and uh, hope to fly once again. You know how it goes when you get to the gate to board the plane, so you have to have your government-issued photo ID that isn't expired with you and your boarding pass, and then they look at it and they compare. They check your ID and they match, okay, does this name match the boarding pass name? Yep, okay, so that's the same thing, all right, and then take your mask down so they can match the picture with your face. Does that match? Is that who you are? Yeah, that's who you are. They're, they're verifying your identity. And there's many things that actually can, can help identify who we are. You've got your, you know, even your address or your last name. Some things regarding our identity can change. So before we were married, Marla's name was Marla Blair. It is not Marla Blair anymore. It is Marla Enns. However, there are some key things 
about our identity, that can never change. I can never change who my biological parents are. I can never change my genetic makeup. There are some things that just don't change. And there are some things that are key in the scriptures that uh, are core to our identity that don't change as well or that shouldn't change. And click. Am I going the wrong way? Oh, there we go. Establishing identity. Okay, so the first question is, what is our identity based on? The world will tell you our inner self determines our identity, and it is based on what we feel we are. And that goes along with that idea of how you define yourself. The problem is, Jeremiah 17.9 is pretty clear that the heart is deceptively wicked above all else. Who can know it? We can be very misled by our own inner self. So the biblical principle regarding our identity is this. Identity is established in relationship, and it's primarily rooted in who your father is. This is reflected naturally. Your very existence came out of relationship. The closest relationship that can exist between any two people your existence was birthed there. And whether you are a male or a female is established by your father. Whether you're an XX or an XY, it's the father that determines that. This is also reflected in Jesus' life. We just read in, in Matthew chapter 16 about Peter's revelation about who God was, or who Jesus was. Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Christ, they were expecting the Christ to come. But the Son of the living God, that was profound. We call him the Son of God all the time. He's referred to as the Son of God all the time. His very identity is based on who his Father is. Who is his Father? God. So his identity is the Son of God. That's who he is. The Son of God. It's confirmed in other passages as well, this idea of fathers establishing identity. It often in the scriptures, particularly where it was a little bit confusing identifying this person and that person, you wouldn't necessarily have, you know, uh, Rob Penner and Rob Friesen and Rob Balfour. You would have, for example, Jesus's. Uh, and with his disciples, he had two disciples named James. One was James, the son of Zebedee, James, the son of Alphaeus. So it was the father who helped identify who, who this is. Oh, yeah, okay, you're the son of so-and-so. That's, that's what James were talking about. Genealogies in the scripture almost always just mention the father. That I'm not taking away from the value of mothers. Obviously, that's a, that's a whole other sermon, um, or series for that matter, but... Genealogies almost always mention the father. Fathers beget, right? So scripturally, our identity is rooted in who our father is. And especially if we are following the example of Jesus and his identity as being the son of God, then our identity is also whose son are we are. Whose son are we? So why does it matter that our identity is established in relationship and that it's rooted primarily in who our father is. Why does that matter? Number one, it matters because your identity is not established by you. 
Our identity is established outside of ourselves. Perhaps God is the only one who can say, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. He's the only one who can really make that declaration. This is, I just, the I am. But for all of us, our identity is established outside of ourselves. Secondly, fathers play a really key role in helping affirm and establish identity in our children. And I realize all of us as fathers, we are not perfect in this. But we are meant to reflect that as God the Father uh, establishes identity, we're meant to help affirm that as well. And I realize we don't, we don't always do it perfect. Third reason why this matters, and that is that our true identity is only found in God as our Father. We never truly find it without him. John 1 verse 12, to those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He's our Father. Ephesians 1 verse 5 talks about how we've been adopted into his family. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, it started, starts out with our Father. We are meant to be his children. He's calling us to be his children. That's where our identity is rooted. And that's where we truly find out who we are when he is our father. We are sons of others. Like Jesus, he was called the son of David, the son of Abraham, the son of man, the son of Joseph. But primarily, he's the son of God. I'm the son of Peter. But at a much deeper level, I'm a child of God. And my true identity is rooted in God as my father. My second youngest, uh, Joshua, he's seven years old now. But when he just started to talk, one of the first phrases that he learned was, Hi, Dad. And he would say it all the time. Hi, Dad. Hi, Dad. And he wouldn't even look at me necessarily. He was just walking past, Hi, Dad. Or playing in the other room, hi, Dad. First thing he would say when he woke up, which he was in a different room, hi, Dad. I walked into his room one night, and he was talking in his sleep. Hi, Dad. <laughs> like, my goodness. But you know, that just that so impacted me. That's like, ah, isn't that how we ought to be as God's children? Where we cry out, Abba, Father, Abba, Abba. Not just because... We need something from him, but because he's our father, it should flow so naturally out of us that even while we're sleeping, Abba, 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 he just loves us so much. So our identity is rooted in who our father is. Well, this then leads us to the next question. So if that's where our identity is based, well, then who, who really are you? And this brings us to the whole area of your authentic self. The world will tell you that your authentic self is manifested when you are free to express the inner urges and desires and feelings that exist within you without any restrictions. Once again, I don't trust my inner urges and desires. My heart is deceptively wicked above all else. Who can know it? I need to know the Father's heart.
There we go. I got it. There's this thing called a power switch here. Got to turn it on. All right. Your authentic self, this is the biblical principle, your authentic self is manifested, is most truly manifested when you bear the image of your father. This is reflected naturally. My children, I have heard from numerous people, they're like, we know who the end's children are. They look just like you. Right? You look like who gave you life. It's also reflected in Jesus' life. Who was Jesus? Well, Hebrews 1 verse 3 says that he is the exact representation of God's being. Colossians 1.15 says that the Son is the image of the invisible God. And in John 14, verses 6 to 14, I won't read that, but Jesus is, is talking to his disciples and saying that, you know, if you, if you know me, then you know the Father. And Philip says, well, show us the Father and that'll be enough. And Jesus' response is, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the image, the, the perfect image of the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Other scriptures talk about the importance of, of bearing that image and the image of the Father. So in Genesis 1 verse 26, we read about how God, he, he wanted to create mankind in his image. Let us make man in our image and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and everything that crawls along the ground. We all carry that image, even in our fallen state, we still have that image in us. James 3 verse 9 implies that. It's, it's reflected also, I don't know how many of you enjoy reading genealogies in the scriptures. You know, you read it and you're like, man, that was just so inspiring. Uh, but Genesis chapter 5, the beginning of that genealogy, you read about how Adam had a son, Seth, and it says, in his image, in his likeness, those are the same words that are used when we read in Genesis chapter 1 of how God created man in his image and in his likeness. So we bear that image, the image of our Father. And this idea of bearing our Father God's image is actually really important when it comes to the biblical perspective of gender identity. I know that there are many who struggle with this, I personally know people who um, wrestle with this. And I don't mean at all to minimize the, the struggle that people genuinely experience in this area. But there is hope and truth found in here. So in Genesis chapter uh, 1, verse 26, where God says, let us make man in our image, and in verse 27 it says, so God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And there's a bit of a parallelism happening there. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's basically saying the same thing using different words that help bring a fuller understanding. And there's correlation between the terms. So where it says, um, in the image of God, he created him. Male and, male and female who created them, him and them correlate, and image and male and female correlate. And so I, 
I believe that this implies that our very maleness and femaleness in and of themselves are a foundational component of what it means to be created in God's image. And is it any wonder that the enemy would try to bring confusion into this area because it just warps the image of God all the more? We are our true, authentic selves when we truly bear the image of God. Why does this matter? It matters because our identity is not meant to be confusing. It's not something that we should feel lost in trying to discover. We're called to look at who God is, who Jesus is as the perfect image of the Father, and that's who we're meant to reflect. Matthew 5.48, Jesus says, I think it's 5.48, where he says, Be perfect, therefore, as my heavenly Father is perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Other passages, 1 Peter 1.15, I believe it is, where he says, Be holy, why? Because I am holy. We, we do this because that's who our Father is. We're meant to reflect his image. And he's created us to do that. So we look at him. We, we read this to learn who God is and, and, and how Jesus lived that out. And it's like, okay, okay that's, that's, that's who I'm meant to reflect. That's who I am. That's my authentic self as, as being created in God's image. It's all, this also matters because we're called to be God's representatives. As his image bearers, Adam and Eve, were to represent the Lord in their rule over the earth, in their relationships with one another, in their very being, their existence, their life. They were meant to reflect him. And in a similar way, in the new covenant, we are also called to reflect the Lord. We are, in fact, called his ambassadors. And if you know how ambassadors work, they don't go to another country to represent themselves. They go to represent the country they came from or the king that sent them. As we bear the image of God, we are meant to represent the king of kings. We are his representatives. And so we, we learn about who he is and then represent him. In that way, of course, only by the power of his spirit. Another reason why this matters is because we care about others. Perhaps you have come across um, someone who has, or um, an article or something that says something along the lines of, you know what, this is who I am and I don't care what any of you think about that. You can unfriend me, you can unfollow me, this is just who I am, so deal with it. I think we're actually supposed to care what other people think to a degree. Galatians 1 verse 10, Paul is quite clear. He says, I don't live to please man. I live to please the Lord. So our motivation is to please the Lord. But we read passages like Philippians 2 where it says, don't just only look out for your own interests, but also consider the interests of others. Or in Corinthians where Paul is talking about not causing the brother to stumble, being aware of of where they're at and adapting so they won't stumble. The second part of the greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. 
our authentic selves are not meant to be expressed in such a way that this is who I am and I don't care what you think. No, it's meant to be this is who I am and because of that, you too can find your true identity. And I love you so much, I will care about you in that. So your authentic self is that of your father's image bearer. So we've, our identity is rooted in who our father is. And out of that, our authentic selves is that of image bearers of our father. And this then leads to the next question. So now from identity, this kind of helps to speak to purpose in life. So what is our purpose in life? The world will say, well, if there is a purpose, it's to discover your true self, which is based on what makes you happy and fulfilled particularly from a sexual perspective. But the scriptures tell us that your purpose is to be like your father. Your purpose is to be like your father. It's reflected naturally. We have children. Those of you who have children, you teach them how to talk like you. You teach them how to think like you. You teach them how to treat others the way you do your work ethic. And even if you're like, no, no, I don't want them to think like me. I want them to be an independent thinker. Why is that? Because you're an independent thinker. They become just like you in many ways, for good or for bad. This idea of being just like the Father, it's also reflected in Jesus' life. So John 5.19, Jesus says, The Son can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. He's like, I will be exactly like my Father. In fact, I won't do anything that the Father won't do. Other scriptures... We read in Romans 8.29, this is really the whole goal of the Christian life. It's to be conformed to the image of Christ. That is what we are all working towards, to be conformed to his image. John 8, verses 31 to 47, there's an account there. Jesus is talking to some of the the Jewish people, and um, the idea of fatherhood comes up. And... Uh, just to pick out a few things there, one of the, the things that the Jews say is, well, Abraham is our father. And Jesus says, well, if Abraham was your father, you would do what Abraham did. And then they say, oh, we only have one father, and that's God. And he says, okay, well, if God is your father, then you would love me, because God the Father loves me. And then he tells them, but the devil is your father. What? Why? Because they've been trying to murder him, And the devil was a murderer from the beginning. How we live our lives reflects who our father is. If you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. So our purpose is to become just like Jesus, who is the perfect representation of the father. Why does this matter? Well, first of all, it matters because our purpose is actually to conform. We've been taught to be as individual as we can be. Our purpose in life, all along, is actually to become exactly like someone else. 
That is our, our whole purpose in life, to become just like someone else, Jesus. The world doesn't need more Gene. The world needs more Jesus. John 3, verse 30, John the Baptist, he said, He must increase, I must decrease. Our purpose in life is to become just like Jesus. Well, what about diversity? It's not uniformity, it's unity. And it's not, you know, conformity, it's community. Yeah, you're right. But you know what? If we're focused on being as individual as possible, we're going to mess up the whole thing. So, if, if, if we get our eyes off of being created in the image of God and focusing on reflecting that image accurately, what happens with that distinction and that diversity that exists between male and female? It doesn't exist there anymore. Because we're like, no, I, I can be whoever or whatever I want to be. And that distinction doesn't matter. But when we focus on actually accurately reflecting the image of God as seen in Jesus, then he brings about the diversity that's needed within the body. First Corinthians 12, there's a diversity of gifts. But it's not because we're focused on being individualistic. It's because we're focused on reflecting the image of Christ. And then he empowers us by his spirit. A second reason this matters is because when we work to become like Jesus, we will also be tempted like him. So when Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, how did the enemy start out the temptation? If you are the son of God, he goes right to the heart of his identity. If you are the son of God, then turn this stone into bread. In other words, you deserve this. You should get this if you really are God's child. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard that temptation? You, you deserve this. You're God's child. You should get that. Or why don't you throw yourself down from the temple? The Lord, the Lord will save you. Has he ever come to you and said, if you really are a child of God, God should do this for you? And he challenges us right at the heart of our identity. Are you really a child of God? No? Well, how about you just change your allegiance and, and worship me and I'll give you everything. As we seek to become like Jesus, the enemy will throw the same lies our way. Jesus thankfully succeeded. And we trust that his spirit will continue to guide us in his truth as well. So our purpose, our primary purpose in life is to be, um, be like your father. To be like your father. So what does that actually look like, walking it out? Well, in, in the world systems, you'll be told whatever you want. Do whatever you want and don't let anybody stop you and affirm others in doing the same thing. However, walking in purpose from a biblical perspective means that being like your father results in the activity of multiplication. It's reflected naturally. The reason we're here is because fathers had children, and then they had children, and then they had children, and then they had children. It's reflected in Jesus' life. What did Jesus do? He made disciples. And then he told them, You make disciples. And those disciples then are to make disciples, who are to make disciples, who are to make disciples. The reason that we are here and that we can call ourselves children of God is because they actually did that. It's been carried on for 2,000 years. This reproduction that's been taking place. 
And we carry that same mandate to make disciples of all the nations. Matthew 28, it's a great commission, verses 18 to 20. Acts 1, verse 8 talks about his being his witnesses throughout the world by the power of the Spirit. Why does it matter to focus on reproducing in being like the Father? Well, we can get distracted. We sometimes forget what our purpose actually is and what it means to become like the Father and to multiply. I don't want to unnecessarily step on any toes here, but let me just share something. Acts 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Wonderful, wonderful promise of the Lord. But what happened right before that? What led to that statement? Acts chapter 1 verses 6 to 8, so the disciples, they've spent some time with the resurrected Christ And he's teaching them, but they still don't seem to quite get, like they got it that he's the son of God, they got it that he's the Messiah, but they still have this idea that, okay, now let's set up this kingdom. So they ask him, are you now going to uh, reestablish the kingdom of Israel? Well, why would they ask that? Because they have an immoral government, they have a corrupt government, they have a government that arrests radical Jews, They have a government that doesn't let them worship the way that they would like to worship. It's terrible. It was that way for decades. Are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you now going to give us good government? And Jesus says, it's not your concern. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. The priority is the gospel. It's always the gospel. Whatever else you're doing, spread the gospel. I'm not saying governments don't matter. I'm not saying corruption or any of that doesn't matter. But in whatever we do, the priority is the gospel. As a child of God, your priority is the gospel. Jesus proclaimed the kingdom. His disciples proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. Why did they get in trouble with the government? Because they were proclaiming the gospel. Why did they say they wouldn't follow the orders of the government? So they could continue to proclaim the gospel. The priority is always the gospel. Always, always, always. Do you want good government? Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel will be preached to the ends of the earth, and then the end will come. Do you want Jesus to establish his good government on the earth? Preach the gospel. The gospel is the priority. Always. Restrictions or not, bad or good government, it's always the priority. Preach the gospel. Don't get distracted. And as we preach it, we carry the message of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 16-21 says we've been given the ministry and the message of reconciliation. And this brings it kind of full circle. So as we go out and we proclaim this message of reconciliation, it's reconciliation with who? The Father. Reconciliation with the Father. And so people come and they 
They learn of their identity by being reconciled with the Father, who they're meant to be, and, and that speaks then to their purpose to go out and multiply and do the same thing, and thereby introducing others to the Father who find their identity and reproduce, and so on and so forth. We are called to be children of God. Are you a child of God? So we need to ask, answer the question that he asked, who do you say that I am? But we also want him to answer that question when we ask him, who do you say that I am? God, who do you say that I am? And if we've put our faith in him, he says, this is my beloved son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. Notice when he said that to his son at the baptism, that was before he started his public ministry. It wasn't based on his works. It was based on his sonship. And as children of God, we receive life, identity, love and affirmation, relationship, purpose, blessing, and presence, and many more things. Blessed be to the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Are you his child? If you aren't his child, he's made a way for you to be his child. Put your faith in him. He bore your sin on the cross and rose three days later to give us new life, eternal life. As we lay our lives before him and say, yes, take me, thank you. Confess I'm a sinner. I give my life to you. If you are his child, do you know the identity that he's established in you and that purpose that comes from that? Your identity is rooted in who your father is. Your true self is the image bearer of your father. Your purpose is to become like your father. And that looks like multiplying. Let's pray.